How many of you appreciate the fact that it's in the, the middle of football season? It's in full swing right now. Any football fans? I've been thinking this week about offensive linemen. They're, they're often overlooked, but they're important, central to the effectiveness of a team. Why? Because they protect the quarterback, who you could refer to as the, the heart of the offense, right? You need a, a good offensive line to protect your quarterback. And those offensive linemen, all week long, you'll, you'll find them in the weight room, hitting the weights, getting ready because they know when they line up in front of their quarterback, those defensive linemen are going to be coming. They're going to be blitzing. They're going to be trying to sack that quarterback, and they have to be ready to guard their quarterback. So they, they hit the weight room. Guarding is important in the Christian life as well. Proverbs 4, verse 23 tells us this, Above all else, guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. Guards your heart. The world, the flesh, and the devil are coming. Day after day after day. Are you guarding your heart? And you say, how do I guard my heart? One of the best ways to guard your heart is to be reminded of the truth of God's Word. And that is exactly what Peter does to the early church here. That's what he's going to do for us this morning. So I invite you... If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 1. He says, This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Reminders, bringing them back to the truth of God's Word. That you should remember, there it is again, the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. The Old Testament, the predictions of the holy prophets, the commandment of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the New Testament. Warren Wearsby compared the Bible to the seamless garment that Christ wore before His crucifixion. You, you cannot divide this book without ruining the whole. It is all God's Word, and Peter says it's important that we are reminded of the truth of God's Word to guard our hearts. I, I think about how important that is. I think about this 50-year-old gold pan at least. I, I hung out with John, one of our church members who can't come right now because of COVID. He's at home staying safe, and he's tuning in online probably this morning. But we sat on his porch this week, and he knows my son Evan enjoys gold panning. So he said, how would Evan like a 50-year-old gold pan that my mom used to use? I said, he'd probably love that. And then John went on to tell me that his mom wasn't the only gold panner in their family. His grandpa used to gold pan during the Depression. And he said when his grandpa gold panned, it was for groceries. He would try to get enough gold to go to the store and get groceries. And you know what that made me think about? Like, when, when you're gold panning for groceries, you're probably a little more earnest about it than if it's just a hobby, right? You'll probably spend more time at it, and you'll probably work harder till you find that gold. Why? Because you realize it affects your, your well-being. And I thought about that. that's the same thing with God's Word. As long as we think this is just a hobby or something we tack on to our lives on Sunday morning, chances are we're not going to work very hard at it. But when we realize... 
It is essential to our well-being that we need this to guard our hearts. Then we're going to dive in with passion and commitment and say, Father, teach me what I need to know today. And what he's going to be reminding them about in chapter 3 in particular is the, the return of Christ. The return of Christ. How many of you believe Jesus is coming back? <laughs> he is coming back. It's promised all through the New Testament, the Old Testament. And today we're going to focus on the fact that He is going to return in judgment of the ungodly. This is kind of a heads up message. Next week we're going to focus on the hope of that return for the believer. But Peter wants to make sure we remember He is coming. He starts out this morning by reassuring the believers that he's writing to. You remember last week he was warning them about false teachers. And he's going to warn them some more about this. They're, they're, they're in the church. And verse 3, he warns the believers. He says, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. You know what scoffing is? Not a word we use a lot anymore, but it means to make light of or mock things that are important. You don't have to look very far to find this attitude in our world today. I saw it just this week. You know how some news articles have comment threads? And every now and again you'll get a Christian in there that talks about God or the afterlife or the Bible? Just read the responses to those comments. The scoffers are out there and they are active. And Peter's warning them, there are scoffers among you. Be prepared for that. Just, just like I went out for a run this morning while it was still dark and I thought I saw a dog, but then I noticed a guy at the end of his driveway and he, I had my headphones in, and I took my headphone out and he said, that's a coyote up there. So boy, that's a good sized coyote. And he said, if it's just one of them, you probably don't have to worry, but I don't know if he's got some buddies around the corner. So I said, I'll go the other way. He warned me about what was up ahead. He, he even told me he saw that coyote or one of them in his front yard one morning with a cat dangling out of both sides of his mouth. He, he gave me a warning. I said, I'm going the other way. That's what Peter is doing here, warning the church about these scoffers, people that make light of important spiritual truths. And this thread of being cautious about scoffers and mockers goes all through the Bible. Psalm 1.1 is one prime example. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. While we love scoffers and pray they come to salvation, we got to be careful how much we allow them to influence our own thinking. There's a progression in that psalm. Walks not in the counsel of the wicked, just kind of walking by. And stands, now you're standing still in the way of sinners and then sits in the seat of scoffers. You, you spend enough time around scoffers and allow them to influence your way of thinking. Pretty soon, their thinking becomes your thinking. Peter's warning these folks and he's warning us, be, beware who you allow to influence your thinking. He says, with scoffing, following their own sinful desires... We talked a lot about their sinful desires last week. But here's the deal. Sinful desires and scoffing about God, they go together. Just like P 
peanut butter and jelly. Right? Sinful desires and scoffing. They're a team. I think about that and I think of some of the modern thought processes in our world and, and i got a question to ask. Maybe you've wondered this too. Does, does modern man live however he pleases because he believes in godless evolution? Or does modern man believe in godless evolution because he loves living how he pleases? See what I'm saying? The sinful desires and the scoffing or the doubt of God's truth go, go hand in hand. So what, what is it that they're scoffing about? Verse 4, they will say, where is the promise of His coming? Where is this promise of, of Jesus? They're charged the second coming you've been talking about, Peter. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's all through the New Testament. Peter was there, if you remember, after the resurrection when Jesus ascended to heaven and the guys are looking up, watching Him go, and the, the angels say to them in Acts 1.11, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw Him go in to heaven. But these scoffers don't stop with that question, where's the promise of His coming? They say, forever since the fathers fell asleep, probably the Old Testament saints, all things are continuing as they were from the, the beginning of creation. Well, what are they saying? I want to paraphrase, if it's in the 60s, as I believe when Peter wrote this letter, hey Peter, it's been 30 years since you say you saw him go up into the air. I don't see him. Do you see him, Peter? Things are always going to be just like they are now, right? It hasn't happened yet, so it's not going to happen at all. And I thought about that. I was like, we can refute that even on a human level. Just because something hasn't happened yet does not mean it's not going to happen, right? There were many people that said, man will we'll never step foot on the moon. <laughs> and in 1969, our boy from Ohio, Neil Armstrong, took that one small step, right? What about this one? No one will ever break Babe Ruth's home run record. In 1974, cannons fired and two college students jumped out of the stands and ran part of the base path with Hank Aaron as he broke that record. We know even on the human level, just because something hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Now raise that to a whole nother level, up to the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God who in the world in their right mind could say, just because it hasn't happened with him, it won't, right? These, these false teachers had a low view of God, but Peter's reminding the faithful. God, God keeps his word. He's faithful and he's able to, to keep his word. If any of us doubt the reality of just how quickly things can change back in 2019, none of us doubt it anymore, right? Things can change like that. Just look at 2020. And this is all just on a human level, right? Things can change in, in a flash. But Peter's response goes, goes even deeper. His response, I'm going to paraphrase, is, is you guys, God has already intervened dramatically and suddenly by His Word. 
And he gives them two examples of when that happened. They mentioned creation. He's like, I want to take one thing you guys even said out of your own lips. Look at creation itself. Verse 5. For they deliberately overlooked this fact. Remember last week we talked about ignorance in the Bible is often willful. I don't know because I don't want to know. They deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. He's saying, guys, creation (laughs) was a huge change that came from God's word and God's power. And you say, what's all this talk about water? Well, if you know Genesis 1 at all, you see water all over that chapter. Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God went to work speaking nine times. God said, God said, God said, and He brought form and and filled the void. And Even the sky, right? Verses 6 through 8 in that chapter, the waters above from the waters below, and He made the sky. Later on, 9 and 10, He talks about separating the waters to make the land. So there's one example they were deliberately overlooking, and then he brings another one that involved God's judgment, the flood. In Noah's day, verse 6, and that by means of these, water and God's word, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. And you know what Jesus said about the days of Noah. People were marrying and eating and drinking and carrying on. Most people didn't believe Noah when he preached for 120 years that a flood's coming. Many people believe they'd never seen a drop of rain. (laughs) What are you talking about, you crazy fool? But then it happened, didn't it? So here's Peter's verdict. God can and does intervene suddenly in ways that change everything in history. Do you believe in a God who does that? And now he gives them a warning. But by the same word, same word of God, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. You ever wonder where the biblical idea comes from that that this planet's going to burn? This is one of the, the key passages. And that phrase, stored up for fire, is interesting. Some translators translate it stored with fire. Which looking back knowing what we know now, they believe it may have been a hint from God at the incredible power that exists within the very atoms that our universe is made of. And that perhaps the way God will do this one day is unleashing the power of all those atoms in the universe and destroying all that we know. Scoffers scoff now, Peter's saying, but if they continue, God will have the last word. I thought about that. I'm like, man, in this world, sometimes we're tempted to join in with the scoffers and the mockers because we don't want to be viewed as those crazy people. We don't want to be laughed at by other people. But listen to God's Word. Psalm 2.1 says, Why do the nations rage 
and the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed Jesus, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. I read that, I'm like, man, whose laughter in derision would I rather endure? That of men and women? Or that of God? But I don't think it's only God that laughs when people rebel and and reject against Him. I personally believe even the demons laugh when we do that. You know why? Because even though the demons actively came against Jesus and rebelled against Him, they knew full well who He is. They knew He's Lord. How, How do I know that? Well, Mark 1.34, talking about when Jesus cast out demons, it says he, Jesus would not permit the demons to speak because they knew Him. Okay? What did they know about Him? Listen to how they responded to Jesus. Mark 5, when He cast the, the legion out of the man running through the, the tombstones. Mark 5.7, the demon cried out with a loud voice. He said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? He knew who he was. I adjure you by God, do not torment me. And he knew what he had coming from Jesus. So I believe even the demons laugh when we scoff at the idea of Jesus as Lord of Lords and King of Kings who will return in judgment. They say we fooled another one. We fooled another one. I know sometimes... We read passages like this, and maybe some of you guys are sitting there saying, well, this kind of judgment does not fit in with the God I believe in. Often the problem is, you know what? We don't believe in the God of the Bible. We believe in a God of our own making. We, We forget that He's not only loving, He's also holy. And He also cares very much about His own glory. Listen to what William Shedd said. Before I get there, I just want to say, man, sometimes we think we're the center of the universe. <laughs> right? We think it is all about us, and God is one of those things that, that orbits around us for our good. And He does give blessing to those who believe and trust Him. But listen, you are not the center of the universe, nor am I. He is. And here's how William Shedd put it. He said, neither salvation nor damnation are ultimate ends, but means to an ultimate end, namely the manifested glory of the triune God. We are not the main character in the story. He is, and whether He saves or judges, it all points to His glory. It points to His love and His righteousness. He is good in all He does. That's why Habakkuk 2.14 says, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now Peter's going to go on to give these believers some reasons for the delay because they've been affected by these scoffers. They may be wondering themselves and maybe you're wondering, hey, 
Now it's 2,000 years later, right? You know, you read verses like 1 Peter 4, 7, when Peter himself said the end of all things is near. But here it is, 2020. What gives here? And he gives two reasons for the delay. It's, number one is it's God's schedule, not ours. Okay? <laughs> Listen to what he says. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Look at, look at that second phrase. To the Lord, a thousand years is as one day. It's His schedule, not ours. And what, I think what, what we take from that is don't grow impatient with God's schedule. His, his timing is perfect, okay? Think about all the great things that happened in Scripture after uncomfortable delays that caused many questions. Uh, you know how long Abraham and Sarah waited for Isaac? As old folks, too? 25 years. 25 years from the promise till, till they had Isaac. Think about the Israelites in Egypt. Hundreds of years, and then the deliverer finally comes on the scene, and God's in no hurry. He sends him out to the desert for 40 years with sheep before he brings Moses back to, to bring him out. Think about Jesus' first coming, right? Galatians 4 4 says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. But the, that was after 400 years of silence, right? But between Malachi and John the Baptist. 400 years. That's, that's longer than our country has even been around. But God's timing is always perfect. You think about what happened in those silent years. Empires came and went. And I'll tell you a couple of things that made God's timing perfect. During those silent years, when, when the Greek empire took over, Greek spread around the known world. It became a common language that everybody could share. The Jews translated their Hebrew Old Testament into Greek during that period because many of them didn't know Hebrew. And that made the Old Testament accessible not only to the Jews, but other people in the empire. And it made it great so when the apostles wrote the Greek New Testament, they could go together. And they could quote that Greek Old Testament and the promises of the Messiah. Jewish synagogues spread all around the Roman Empire, which, which settled in. And those synagogues became key stopping points for the Apostle Paul. Often the first place he would go in a major city, and the gospel would spread from those synagogues around the empire. By the time Jesus came, you know the Romans were in charge. They had this road system, like no road system before it, that allowed people to travel here and there, that missionaries and apostles could travel with the word of God, there was a Roman peace, Pax Romana, that allowed the gospel to spread around the known world. 400 years of silence, was that uncomfortable? Did that cause a lot of questions? You bet. Was God's timing perfect? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you can probably think of situations in your own life where your schedule was different than God's. And it caused some questions and maybe some angst, but now looking back, you can see, wow, 
His timing really was perfect. It's, it's God's schedule, not our own. But I want to focus on that second phrase for just a moment. He also says, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years. And a couple of the, the scholars who looked in that was like, wow, you know, sometimes we get careless with, with our days and we just let them fly by and we forget that with God, in one day He could do something that we would think would take a thousand years. Why? Because He's God. The, the, the power and potential of one day when God's in the equation is amazing. I, I thought about it like this. Sometimes Luke will bring me a balloon, my three-year-old, and he'll bring it to me because he's tried to, to blow that balloon up and help it reach its maximum potential, but he just doesn't have the lung power. But he brings it to Dad, and I fill that balloon to all its potential. I thought, man, what if we viewed our days like that? Instead of squandering them away carelessly, day after day, just doing things in our own power and with our own strength, what if we invited God into every day? Start the day with prayer. I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. Start the day in His Word and say, God, do what you want to do in this day. Every day has that kind of potential with God. I thought about a few days in history where in one day, God changed the world. Think about a little baby born in a stable in Bethlehem town. Just one night. Think about a Friday where that baby had grown up in the perfect Lamb of God and gave His life for the sin of the world. Think about a Sunday where He walked out of His tomb victoriously. And I, I see that. And I, I just, when, when God's in the equation, I believe we should never underestimate the power of a day. The trouble with us humans is sometimes we forget that until we get sick or someone dies and then we start thinking about it. And I think the challenge is, hey, let's not wait for those moments. Let's, let's grab onto that today. Every day is a gift. Invite God into it. Kenneth Boa explained it like this. Like, just think, think of this. Let's say you go to your doctor and your doctor tells you you have one year to live. You have one year to live. What becomes important to you? He says, don't wait for that moment. Grab onto those things right now and, and go after them. The potential of a day. So it's God's schedule, not ours. And then it's also God's salvation. Why He delays His return. Listen to verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is the beautiful balance to what we talked about with God's holiness earlier. It's His love and His patience with us lost sinners. Ezekiel 18.32, He says, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone. So turn and live. I think about that in this letter of Second Peter, and I believe it includes even the false teachers we talked about in Second Peter. Chapter 2. I have no pleasure in the death of anyone. So turn and live. 
He wants us to reach repentance. That word reach, some, some translations say to come to repentance. It means to make room for. And I was thinking about like if you have one of these, I don't know if you ever run into this thing where you want to take a picture or a video of your family and you're like, no, no room. Like, i got to delete something. What am I going to delete? The McDonald's app? I don't don't know. It's got my dollar French fries on there. You know, a news news app. I don't Something's got to go to make room for those pictures and videos. And and I thought about that. that, That's a very picturesque phrase, to make room for repentance. I think why that is so applicable is, man, a lot of times we don't, leave room for anything spiritual. We're so consumed with the things of this world. And it doesn't take long. I, I was walking through Costco the other day waiting on a tire change and I'm looking at TVs and sound systems that I hadn't been thinking about at all before I went in there. But now all of a sudden my mind is filled with all this cool stuff. Is there anything necessarily sinful about any of those things? Not in and of themselves, unless we allow those things to crowd out what really matters. He's waiting that you would make room in your heart for repentance. You say, what is repentance? Biblically, it's a, it's a change of mind that leads to what Acts calls fruits of repentance. A change of mind that leads to change of action. Okay? Change of mind about my sin, a, a turning away from my sin. Change of mind about Jesus, a turning to Him as my Savior and Lord. That's what He's waiting for. Have, have you done that? And I think about, we, we all have the need to do that. And it's easy to, to rage against the, the craziness in this world. You know, to always blame it on something out there. Blame, blame Satan, blame the liberals, blame the television, whoever. And look, I think at the end of the day, we've got to come back and realize that the, the sickness is inside of us all. The sin that leads to eternal death. That's, that's when we wake up and realize, I need to repent. I, I think, think about it like this. I was reading The Red Pony recently by John Steinbeck heart-wrenching story if you've ever loved a pet a little boy named Jody gets a red pony and little and he grows and and the red pony gets sick and one night after his sickness he notices Jody notices that the pony's gone the barn door's open and he goes out to to find his pony and off in the distance he sees buzzards circling and he runs and he gets there and it's too late. He sees a buzzard on the, the head of his pet pony. And little Jody, with all the rage of a kid that loved his pet, grabbed a rock and grabbed onto one buzzard that was dumb enough to stick around and started bashing this buzzard in the head. And his dad, Carl Tiflin, wisely said to Jody, Jody, it wasn't the buzzard that, that killed him. What was he saying? It was the, the sickness within that, that took your pony and so when we admit that, that when it says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, it's not just those people out there. It, it's me. That's when I wake up and realize I, I need to repent. I need to believe in Jesus as, as my Savior. You say, what's God's heart? Is He going to welcome me? Knowing all that I've done? 
I'd encourage you to read Luke 15 if you want to know God's heart towards repentant sinners. I think about a shepherd who left the 99 sheep and went after the one. I think about a woman who, who went searching for one coin and both of them rejoiced greatly when they found it. And I think about a father whose prodigal son came home and Luke 15, 20 says that the boy arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. That's the heart of God towards repentant sinners. That could be you this morning if you haven't made that choice. But those are the reasons God's schedule and God's salvation. Now He shares the reality of what's coming. Verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. What does that mean? Unexpectedly and, and destructively for those who are not prepared. The day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Many translations say will be burned up. And it brings us to the most important question you will ever face. Have you turned to Jesus in faith and repentance? And are you living for what will last forever? Or are you living for, for things that are going to burn? I encourage you to chew on that until you know the answer. Pray about that. In conclusion, I, I look back through these ten verses and I couldn't help but be struck by the centrality and power uh, of God's Word. Okay, Verse 2 Talked about predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Verse 4 talked about the promise of His coming. Verse 5, as the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the Word of God. Verse 7, by the same Word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire. Verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise. Do you see the thread of the centrality and absolute power of God's Word. Creation was mentioned. God said nine times in creation. God said. God said. God said. Jesus' miracles, one of my favorite. The disciples freaking out on that stormy sea of Galilee. They wake Him up in Mark 4.39. As He awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace! Be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. I think of the power of His Word regarding our eternal destiny. John 5.28 An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil 
to the resurrection of judgment. Think about His voice at the judgment of the sheep and the goats. Matthew 25, 41 and 46, He will say to those on His left, Depart from Me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now think about His precious words to the sheep who trust in Him. Matthew 25, 34, the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The centrality and power of his word. I think about that when it comes to our salvation. If you've come to trust in Jesus, it's through His Word. 1 Peter 1.23, Peter said, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. Yes. Have you trusted? Have you repented? I want to close with one very special word from God for those who do repent and believe in Jesus. It's the word, Beloved. I looked at this third chapter of Peter. You see his heart to encourage this church. Four times in this one chapter, he refers to them as beloved. Beloved. And I don't believe it just means that they're beloved by Peter. As special as that is, I believe when you read the New Testament, it goes on to mean that they are beloved by God Himself. Part of why I believe that is that same word beloved is used in the same book in, in chapter 1, verse 17, where it talks about the transfiguration when Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to Him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Do you understand the biblical truth if you're a believer that you are beloved in Jesus. Amen. The Father loves you as He loves Jesus because you are in Him. In Ephesians, Paul talks about that. Listen to this, Ephesians 1.6, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. All of our blessings come because as believers we are in Christ. John 16, 27. Jesus looks at His guys and says, The Father Himself loves you because you have loved Me and have believed that I came from God. Loved in Jesus. That is a truly special word that will change your life today if you embrace it and receive it by faith and live as though it's true for all who repent. And trust in Jesus. If you're loved in Jesus, I want to close with the promise of Romans 8.31. If God is for us, who can be against us? Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Peter's encouragement of the church then and now. I thank You for the reminder that You are coming. We may not understand the delay, but you have a perfect plan. 
And you do long for more to come to repentance. Doesn't mean that all will. You, you, you leave us to choose. Will we trust? Will we repent? I pray that if there are any here this morning that you're drawing, that they would say yes. That they would come to the cross and find the salvation that comes from the blood of the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That they turn from their sin and turn to Jesus. Accept Him as Savior and Lord. So that that return of Jesus would not be a source of paralyzing fear any longer, but a source of great joy. Bring them in, Lord. Father, I, I pray as we prepare to give our offering this morning that it would be out of hearts that have a great gratitude for the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. You truly are a God who gave it all. If we trust You with our eternal destiny, surely we can trust You with our earthly goods. And truth be told, the, the biblical picture is that they are Yours too. We are stewards. I pray that as we give, it would be from grateful hearts to You. And in prayer, that You'd use this for the glory of Your kingdom and the spreading of Your good news throughout our community and beyond. In Jesus' name, Amen.